Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Seat Yourself podcast. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. Seat Yourself is our weekly conversation that where we cover the news and items of interest and anything that's really relevant within the food service and hospitality industry. This is episode number 119 of See Yourself, and it's published the week of June 21st, 2021. And this week, once again, we're back in beautiful Studio B of the Tabletop Journal Studios, right here in gorgeous Baltimore, Maryland, right here on America's East Coast. And this week, we'll be joined by Mr. Mark Broccoli. Mark is an incredibly experienced marketer of products and brands of all types. And as many of you know by now, I love the marketing that's been evolving within the food service category and where I believe the food service marketing of the future just might be headed within food service. And our guest today, Mark Broccoli, he's got extensive experience with both big companies and small companies. Mark's even worked with fast-moving consumer goods products and also with B2B products. He's also done the agency side of the branded goods marketing business. And finally, as if that hasn't been enough, Mark started his career in operations, so he gets it from the ground up. And lately, Mark's been doing a lot of research in the marketing area of the food service sector to see what his wide range of experiences, to see just what he might be able to bring to companies that are looking to expand their brand awareness and loud in their brand voice. So trust me, folks, when I say that Mark Broccoli has been on all sides of the marketing equation, he really has. And... If that still is not enough for you, to top it all off, although he's an American, Mark currently has been working in Canada. So if you're an American company wanting to sell your products in Canada, or maybe you're a Canadian company wanting to sell in America, you'll want to hear what Mark Broccoli has to say. So with all of that, let's welcome to Seat Yourself, Mr. Mark Broccoli. Hey, everybody, let's give a big, warm Seat Yourself podcast welcome to Mr. Mark Broccoli. Mr. Mark, how are you this morning? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. Great. It's great to have you here. I love talking marketing with people who are smarter than I am, and virtually that includes about the whole planet, because uh, although I've been in sales and marketing for a long time, I'm always learning stuff from people like you, Mark. But before we get started, why don't you tell people how you got to be such an experienced marketer, and it's and, and we'll get into this too. Your skill set goes far beyond the marketing uh, discipline. It goes into sales, it goes into operations, all that. But give people a little snapshot of where you've been and what you've been up to. Sure. Well, basically, I started in operations and manufacturing management. You know, in in that role, I, I worked through many, many different roles, actually, from you know, direct manufacturing management, all the way up through materials management and purchasing management, and then into planning. It was when I was in planning that I moved to Clairol and kind of got a role in what was called operation services, where we represented in our role all of operations to the business team. So whether it was engineering, purchasing, manufacturing management, we represented all of that to the business team led by marketing. And that was where I really got into uh, the whole idea of marketing and seeing where the linkages between manufacturing and marketing were and how it was such a synergistic, had to be a synergistic relationship. 
And from there, I stayed in marketing, kind of have had several different roles across different categories, working my way up and across organizations. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I want people to understand that this isn't just some uh, marketing MBA that's been pumped out of uh, a great school someplace. You are an established, experienced, and got a lot of street credibility on both big and small companies, startups and, and established companies. You've done consumer B2B. You've done the operations gig. You've done the agency gig. So you've seen this business, all businesses really, it seems like from a lot of different sides. And that's really why I was fascinated to uh, have you join us today and talk a little bit about your philosophies and your theories about marketing and brand awareness. So, Yeah, you know, I really do see myself as a, a whole business marketer. And I think you yeah. that's really something important. You know, when it comes to manufacturing management and working with those folks down in the plants or on the line, you know, you get a lot of ideas as a marketer directly from them, whether it's product ideas or even improvements or new uses of the products you're marketing. I really don't look at marketing as a siloed function. You do have to operate across, you know, the whole business and it's marketing, sales, operations, finance, whatever it is. Yeah, I think that uh, too often times uh, we, we see all the sexy uh, um, ads or the sexy storytelling that goes on on the marketing, the packaging and the consumer good side, shelf placement, all that. Mm -hmm. But what really is going on is a lot of that behind the scenes stuff and it's getting the product right and getting it consistently hitting that, that targeted quality level. Yes, telling the story, but making sure the packaging allows and packaging in the containers and the cost of goods yep. allows you to make some money. Because it takes a lot. It takes a lot of money to tell a story. <laughs> it does. It doesn't have to. It depends, of course, on what your objectives are and what the right channel is for your particular business. You know, on the small business side, you've got to be very cognizant of the role of or the interaction between sales and marketing. You know, and choosing the right channels. I mean, at times you don't have the Fortune 500 marketing budget, and you have to choose what the right levers are and what the right way. You know, what the most effective way to reach your target consumer or customer. So, okay, since we're talking about brands and building brands and brand awareness and all that, to you, uh, Mark, what is being a brand all about? For me, being a brand is about a unique, differentiated position versus your competitors. You hardly ever, and in fact, you, I can't think of a case where you have the market to yourself. You're, you've always got some sort of competition, whether it's a direct competitor or whether it's a substitute product. And being a brand is what you establish, and they call it brand equity for a reason. Being a brand is the equity you have with your target customer, your target consumer, that helps them differentiate you from the other folks out there. Yeah, I think that brands are a lot about trust for sure. But it, it, what, what I always tell people when we're talking about brand building, whatever it is, I said brand building, brands get built over the long haul. And I love the word touch points because there's so many different ways. It isn't just an advertisement or a story, a, a place, a piece of PR. It's about all the little touch points. And lately, uh, in the last four, five, six years, whatever, you, we talk about the, whole, the holistic customer experience. And I love that. And we'll save that conversation for another day. But, but I think that it is a holistic experience that you have when, you, when you're building brands. And you've got to be aware of that. Yeah, it's, it's really you amazing. You do. Yeah. And I think you see that when 
there's confusion or just lack of just the nuance between sales and marketing. Yep. You know, what is the difference between the two? And, and those are all touch points. You know, marketing is doing one set of touch points. Sales is doing another set of touch points. It's too, sim- it's too simplistic. But I always think of sales as pushing products out into marketplace, into distribution, and marketing, helping sales by pulling them in, creating demand on the customer side to yeah. pull the products through. I, I use, for me, and we all have our different ways of yep. categorizing things. I look at, it as, look at it as demand generation, which is marketing. In other words, opening the door, creating the awareness for the sales folks and sales being revenue generating. So marketing really is the one who pitches the ball, you know, to use a, to use a metaphor and sales is the one who gets to hit it. And marketing's job is to give sales a lob so that they can hit it out of the park. Now sales job is to take the whole product proposition and figure out what's best to fit the particular customer they're speaking to so that they end up making the sale, generating the revenue. And and that mix of how much effort you put into marketing versus sales really depends on, you know, the specific environment. And you and as a whole business person, understanding that and understanding the needs of the business is how you make those decisions. And that well, I guess that really comes down to strategy then. Mark, you've worked with uh, large established brands. Uh, why don't yep. you give a couple of those brands a shout out and just tell tell the folks a few of the the, the larger brands that you've worked with? Well, I I've worked across a lot of categories, but um, I know. I've worked at Clairol on women's hair color. There's a lot of brands within that portfolio, and I moved from brand yeah. to brand. Herbal Essences being one of them. Yeah. But I've yeah. also most recently worked at uh, Samsung in consumer electronics on their TV business. And you've got some, you've got to, a lot, of, like I said, when we started, you've got startup experience too. Yep. I worked at a company called Idell Management and um, it was a small division of a much larger company, but our job was to buy up non-strategic brands from the big guys and refresh them, reintroduce them back to their existing consumers, maybe lapsed consumers, but also attract new consumers with refreshed ideas and refreshed positioning and reminding them we're still out there. And we're talking about small brands there. Yeah. But small is always a relative term too. Exactly. I mean, being a big guy with the niche brand is kind of a nice place to be. I know in my career, I started with large brands, but I actually think now, and as I've gone along, we've worked with some very, very cool small brands and even almost microscopic brands. And, <laughs> and I find that there's a lot of differences in them, but but they they both have uh, strengths. They're just a little bit different. And, and I'm excited to understand that you have experience on yeah. all of that business. There. And it really is with the smaller brands that I, where I was in marketing, marketing director, and I was working with sales directors and I would go on the sales calls with them to the same accounts, you know, the Walmarts, the Targets, yeah. the Kroger's as we would at the big organizations, but we were much more closely aligned as, as it gets back to my point in terms of where's the best use of a finite amount of resources to get your message out and get your product sold. Because at the end of the day, it, it is about making sales. It is. Yeah. There's that nitty gritty little stuff called finance, P&Ls and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a terrible thing, but unless you're a not-for-profit <laughs> I know a lot of companies who uh, I think somehow they got this this feeling that they're not for profit, but their owners say, no, that's not true. We do like <laughs> to make profit. It's not a bad word. 
your shareholders like it. <laughs> yeah, shareholders do. Uh, you've got a great experience also in operations. How has your experience in operations made you a better marketer? You know, in marketing, it's on many times it's a smaller team, a very focused team, and you're focused on one thing, and that is, you know, the very, you know, some of the sexy side. There is some budgeting side, but you know, the sexy side of advertising and shooting things and interacting with you know, maybe some famous people because you've done a sponsorship or a buyout. But on the operations side, what you're doing is you're really working. And I've always liked this. You're working kind of, you're making something. And there is a sense of satisfaction seeing the final product come off the line. I don't know. Maybe I'm geeky that way, but seeing the product come off the line and working with the team to make that happen taking that then into operations and I mean into marketing and turning that into what is our product that we're trying to do and how is the team doing this product and our product is the consumer reaction to it well actually our product is what we're doing to get the consumer reaction whether it's an ad whether it's you know on tv whether it's digital it could be an event you know and interacting directly with your end users, like at a trade show or, oh, or on the street. Yeah, no, I'd say there's a there's a ton of ways to create that that brand story and that brand awareness and, and to connect. And I and I, I love the the connection that people have with brands and, and the affiliation, and that that brands create. That's just it's amazing to me. I want to take a break here for a second, uh, Mark, for a couple minutes. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the food service sector. I know that you're, you're, you're not a deep in experience on food service, and but you've been lately looking at it a lot, and you have some ideas and some thoughts on it. And the other thing is, one of the big reasons I think it's important that people hear what you have to say, Mark, is because the food service business, in my mind, which, yes, I started in uh, consumer packaged goods, but I've been in food service for probably 25 30 years plus. And I think that the marketing now is really cha- rapidly changing in food service. And I think that food service, well, I'll let you answer the question when we come back, but I think food service marketers can learn a lot from the consumer packaged goods business. And I want to talk about that specific issue. We're here with Mark Broccoli, folks. He's an expert, as an extraordinary marketer, operations guy, sales guy, big companies, small companies, any kind of companies, actually. And we're talking... I love this term, whole business marketing. It's a great term, Mark. We'll be right back with Mark Broccoli, folks. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign-up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going-ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. And welcome back, everybody. We were here with marketer extraordinaire Mark Broccoli, and we're talking whole business marketing and Mark, before we took the break, we were talking about your, uh, well, not steeped in tons of experience on the food service category. You are now spending some time and resource on it and some effort on it. And you'll, you've got a you know great marketing background along with operation and sales experience. 
What do you see the biggest differences in your in your uh, opinion is between the con- marketing and the consumer packaged goods business and the food service business? Well, I'm going to separate that out a little bit or break it down a little bit because mm-hmm. food service, you also have the big guys, you know, the big food manufacturers who are supplying. Campbell's Soup, for instance. Exactly. Or McCain's. McCain. McCain is maybe the better one. That's right. the best. One. Right. And then you've got the big guys like uh, Sodexo and Servco. By the way, for our for our tabletop people who don't know, I can't imagine there's anybody that doesn't know who McCain is, but McCain is the world's largest French fry supplier. <laughs> yes. McDonald's and more and maybe and just about everything. plenty of the independent um, hospitality yeah. food service, re- you know, restaurants. Canadian company too, right, if I'm not yes. mistaken? right down the street. Anyway, the differences in the, in the sector. They are different because, you know, they are well-established. They do have a big professional and well-financed marketing and sales function. But what I've been looking at are the independents. What really opened my eyes to that is I've always been interested in food. So I did a internship, so to speak, at a pub, a gastro pub down the street where I know the owner and I've always been interested. So I asked if I could work in the kitchen, you know, single location. She owns it. Wonderful pub. They make everything there, you know, which was interesting to me. But what opened my eyes there was I saw this whole ecosystem in the back of the house, back of the house, everything from sending knives out to be sharpened to supplying, you know, the sheet pans and bowls and the other, what you would call commodity-type items. And they're being supplied by distributors or single, you know, small distributors and other entrepreneurial-type type groups and people. And it became really interesting to me in that you've got this whole, you know, when you start talking to about these folks, you've got a whole area of these independent restaurants, a whole sector that could be marketed to as if they were, I would say, a consumer group or a customer group. And I'm sure McCain and the big guys do that type of stuff. But I think from what I saw back of house was there's a lot of opportunity for these smaller independent folks to do the same type of work. And it's without that much effort. There are tools out there. There are people out there who can provide that, that effort. And it's just been so fascinating to me that I really started exploring it and looking at opportunities within that sector. Yeah, I think the food service business for large brands, there's so many ways to get that story out now that they weren't 10, 15 years ago. In food service, when you look at, yeah, we've it's gone off a cliff in the, in the pandemic, but it's going to come roaring back if it isn't already. And I think that we use this term all the time on Seat Yourself and on Tabletop Journal, our website, is that really people are hardwired to connect. And the, one of the best ways that we all connect with other human beings is over great food and great beverage in a great environment. And that's why I'm, I'm real bullish on restaurants forever. I can never see a time when we won't be sitting down and enjoying each other's company over great food and great beverage. And usually that's better done in a restaurant and good quality food, quality ingredients, prepared right, all that. That goes without saying. It's it's just, who, you know, what the food service business is all about. For me, it's what's behind that. How did they get yes. there and what's going on in, in the kitchen, so to speak, in back of house. And that's where I see a lot of opportunity, not only for the companies doing the supplying, but for their food establishments themselves. Because, you know, of course, cost is important and 
that can come in so many different ways, whether it's speed of service or speed of preparation, but it can also come in the equipment. It can come in a whole slew of ideas around the value chain, the whole value proposition. It could come in, you know, from the services that you offer to help these entrepreneurial people running these establishments. I mean, they're working really hard and they're touching every part of their business from marketing sales to operations. So they truly are the whole business marketer or the yeah, you used a good word earlier on when you said ecosystem. I, I really think you're that that's a that's a great description of there's so many things that go on in the back of a house of a restaurant that people, if you're not in this business, you don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. You get the result, which is great food and great yep. company and a good time. Absolutely. That's what it's about, the good times. The other thing, too, I think, is, is is there's all kinds of equipment. I mean, within the food service ecosystem, to stay on that word just for a second, in, in total, I think there's a, I mean, the, the equipment category, we focus a lot on tabletop, but tabletop is just one little niche, niche, niche category. There's uh, obviously the food piece and the beverage piece, those are big components. Equipment is huge. They've made so many great strides in, in the equipment side of the business to help independent operators and, and change too, but independent operators and change be more uh, economical, more efficient in the way they produce the product. Sous vide is just one example of equipment that can cook products up and keep it a consistent temperature, consistent quality level. So much opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, and whether you're on the um, restaurant side, like the hospitality side, or whether you're on the supplier side and supplying, you know, the equipment for the back room or the, the kitchen, you still have to do the same marketing practice in a way. You need to know who is your ideal customer or patron. You need to you know, understand where they fit versus other groups of patrons, segmentation, you know, a standard marketing term. And you also have to do some of the practices. Where are the people who are like the folks who join your restaurant and love to come there? Or where are the other restaurants that are like this one that have the same issues? Where are they located? Who are they and how can you reach them? Even if you don't know specifically who they are, how are you going to find them and then reach them with the proposition that's working with your current customers? So it's a way of taking the standard marketing, and you already have a lot of this information, but taking marketing practice and classical marketing tactics and applying them to your business. Yeah, I think that in particularly in the non-food side, and, and again, that's that's sort of the playground that we we hang out on. The non-food side of the food service business, to me, marketing is more sales promotion traditionally has been, and uh, cut sheets, pro deals, promos, stuff like that, rather than what I would call classical marketing that comes out of consumer packaged goods, which is telling the story of the quality level of the brand and, and, and so on. I think that there are lots of lessons, actually, that the food service people can take uh, and are taking out of consumer packaged goods right now. And I think that in the future, as consumers, and when I say consumers, I don't mean consumers going into a grocery store. I mean consumers going into a restaurant and choosing a restaurant. As consumers become more product and um, brand savvy on the food service side, I think those classical traditional marketing versus sales, market, the classical marketing techniques from consumer packaged goods, I think really have great application in food service. Absolutely. And what from what I see from my current research, look around, is that, of course, these entrepreneurs, the smaller businesses, are more focused on the sales side. 
they have to generate revenue. They have to generate cash flow. So the cut sheets, the promos, the, you know, more sales type, sales promotion type efforts are where their focus is. And I think, you know, if you, you look at, let's say, a gradient, they're more to the right, let's say, towards the sales. And I think some benefit can be be earned by them to put a little more focus, let's say, on the marketing side. And it, like I said, it doesn't have to be, you're not talking about deficit spending like the big guys can do. You're talking about speaking to the people who you want to buy your product in a way that adds value to your brand equity. You know, you know, one of the areas that comes to mind, I'm, I'm listening to you talk and, and you're about your experiences with the brands on the consumer side, whatever, but one of the areas within food service that's out in front and doing a lot of that sort of traditional uh, food marketing is the breakfast area in hotels. Uh, when you go to a Hampton Inn, for instance, you, you see a lot of branded products out there. And what I love about that kind of approach, of, of course, if you see Kellogg's cornflakes out there, it's better than Dave's cornflakes, obviously. But you 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 get an you get an opinion of the entire hotel chain or that particular restaurant that's offering that those types of products. The juice is also generally it doesn't it isn't a generic orange juice. It may come in a bulk pack that's put into a machine to dispense it, but generally there's a brand associated with that. And I really like that. And that's why I think that there is a lot of this starting to have has been going on for a while, obviously, but but it really is accelerating more and more and more. And whether it's equipment in the back of the house or foodstuffs in the front of the house, I, I think those classical uh, marketing techniques from consumer package goods are really working. Absolutely, and that there's a concept behind that, which is you know it's basically the company you keep, and yep. what you're doing yep. is is you're transferring equity from these well-established brands, these brands that do have a positive equity with consumers, to your own brand. And, you know, that a very straightforward concept that is marketing. So, you know, when we're talking about marketing versus sales, we're, it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing for an entrepreneur. You know, that's what I see is there's a lot of folks on the job boards are listing marketing jobs that are truly, you know, really in my world would be more sales jobs. Oh yeah, no, that's that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they 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 sometimes add the word marketing on as a way to promote a, a top level sale, a top performer on the sales side. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, it ends up being at best. Again, I'm going to stay with tabletop and 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 the non food side, but at best, sometimes it becomes a sales promotional activity that they're they're really going to focus on. Not a mark, not a true marketing. Bigger companies with bigger budgets. Yeah, they probably, a McCormick, for instance, Spices, they probably have what I would call true marketing there. But but again, there's a lot of small entrepreneurial companies, and that's what I love about your background. You've got yeah. everything. It's so fun, though, when working in the small places, you really do get to do that whole business marketing. Yeah. You get to touch yeah. every aspect. You get to see the results almost immediately. Yeah. You know, it's not like trying to turn the Titanic, so to speak. Well, that's a bad analogy. But trying to turn, let's say, a big ship, where it takes like three miles for it to even begin to start the turn. And then, you know, the other thing, too, I always think about uh, the brand, brands like Heinz Ketchup. I know there are other ketchups, and I know they, so there's some <laughs> other ketchups in the food service business, but I can't name probably more than one or two others. No. 
And that's that's the dominance that big brands can have. But but then there's challenger brands, these fighter brands. I think there's always for smaller operators, independent operators, that's a great way to differentiate themselves with a homemade condiment or something that's really out there that just puts them just a little bit different. Absolutely. And it also makes, you know, makes the establishment a little bit different and adds something yeah. that differentiates them from the guy down the street or the gal down the street. Yeah. See now, now you're in. Now you, when you get into that kind of category, I'm always trying to sell because because we're in the again tabletop thing. I'm always trying to sell a a no, don't give away bread service. Sell it. Or mm. if you don't want to do that, <laughs> if you don't feel comfortable selling your bread, sell the butter. Make the butter different than whatever comes in those pads and all that make your own proprietary butter and put a price on it so that you can, when, when the bread basket comes out, yeah, you might give that bread away, but for $2 more, you can buy the special butter that we have proprietary butter that we make in the back. And, and it's not that hard. I don't think so things like that. I think there's great products like that can really help with the, the marketing of the restaurant, but also the revenue build the check average. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree. Now you're in Canada. Tell us a little bit about the difference between the Canadian market and uh, and the U.S. market. For years, I've always heard about U.S. companies trying to sell into Canada. It's very confusing. They all oh, they're oh they're very very different. And the Canadian people always want to say, oh, we want to come to sell to the U.S. And is it that much difference between the Canadian and the U.S. markets? And if so, what is it? Wow, that's a big question. I've been up here three years, and a year and a half of that has been under the pandemic life. I would say from a marketing practice point of view, those things don't change. The work doesn't change. What really changes is the people you're selling to or marketing to. I think when you look at Canada, it's a very large company with concentrated populations in, let's say, eight cities. And it's a very diverse population across those cities. So let's say Toronto, where I am, very diverse city, but very also different than let's say Calgary. And because there's only eight, eight, let's say major metropolitan areas or major markets in a way, but they're also different from each other. You're really running very specific programs across those markets. You know, you've got Quebec. I mean, there's the quintessential example. You know, it's French speaking. Whereas in the U.S., yes, a large country, very geographically dispersed, but Canada's 10% of the population of the U.S. You've got the diversity in the U.S. and yes, regional differences, but those regions and those groups are just so big there that while there's the diversity, there's also, because they're so big, there's so much crossover between the groups. And I think those nuances up here is what the fact that there are such different regions up here is what makes Canada a, a little more complicated to market in than the U.S. Sure. And, you know, and, and when you start talking about breaking down the cost of marketing, I suppose yeah. the message, the message crafting is the cost might be similar, but the distribution of that message would it be less or more in a market like Canada? I think it might be a little less, wouldn't it? You know, it depends on what you're doing. You know, that's yeah. almost, I can't answer that one. It's going to depend on how you're going to market. Of course, digital is less expensive than, you know, TV. And, sure. You know, we all know that those generalities. Yeah. It's what each one of these different regions responds to. I mean, BC is very different than Ontario and a very different kind of 
outlook on life, or I don't even know how to express it. But so to your to that point, you have to probably yes, the cost of crafting a message may be similar, but you might have to craft more messages. Yeah, multiple messages, and I mean, getting back to Quebec, of course you do. Yeah, and, and an easy you know, one to the, pick on. Yeah, <laughs> easy one to pick on, but he's the second largest market after Ontario. Yeah, and very important, and just as Canadian. No, I, I think the, the, the similarities are there for sure. Uh, consumers want the same things. I think there is, but there, there are distinct differences, just like there's differences between Seattle and Miami. I mean. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, the Miami so, culture is, is, it is different, but it does permeate across more people. So you've got the cost per person is, you know, you get, get into all those esoteric type measures. Mm-hmm. And uh, the U.S. marketing, you know, you can be a little more broad-based. Well, Mark, you you have touched on so many different topics today, and I know you've got this great background, which I've, I've fallen in love with. You got operations, you got big company, small company, agency. We talked about that. I got food service, you got B two B, you've got consumer. If you were just to write the next perfect gig for Mark Broccoli, what would that? What is the best? situation where you could bring skills skills and expertise and and knowledge and 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 i'm going to use a strange word maybe for you but wisdom marketing wisdom to people what's a great situation for you you know i thought a lot about that over the last few months if i had my perfect choice it would be with and i use this term with a challenger brand a challenger company who is seeking to carve out their place in the market and needs, I don't want to use wisdom because that's a little self-promoting, but, but needs the knowledge and needs someone who's as enthusiastic about all aspects of the business as the shareholders or the proprietors are. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm sure there are many challenger brands out there that are looking to carve their way into food service. And interestingly enough, I also think there are food service companies that are desperate to go back, go back the other way into, into the retail grocery shelf. And you have that experience too. And the one thing that the pandemic, I believe, has taught food service people is there are a lot of people out there who said, I, I don't need that retail, that consumer market, that's too, too chaotic, too uh, whatever. But when the business were right off a cliff, you know, back in March of uh, a year or so ago, 15, 16 months ago, a lot of the food, my food service pals were looking for alternative channels for revenue. And I think that there's a great opportunity to go back now, take food service brands and go back the other way as well. So, yep, agree. Anyway, Mark, it's been a pleasure here talking with you this morning. I've learned a lot. And uh, how can people get in touch with you who might want to tap into some of your experience and your wisdom? Well, the best way to get in touch with me is uh, via my LinkedIn profile. It's, um, I think you'll have that on the podcast. Yeah, we'll, itself. We'll, we'll hyperlink in that in the, in the story summary or via my website, which is, um, ambroccoli.com. And I'll send oh. you the link, Dave. Okay. And we'll put that in there as well. Mark, it's been a pleasure. I love it. We're going to come bring you back. I hope, uh, real soon. And we'll talk about some of those other little nuanced, uh, subjects that we just touched briefly on. We'll dig a little, do a little deeper dive on some of that, but best of luck to you. And thank you for joining us here on see yourself. Thank you. And thank you for having me. That concludes this week's episode of tabletop journals, seat yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.